Last week, we started a series uh, called like Living Without Regret or Living Without Regrets. And one thing that a lot of teachers I've talked to on campus, one thing they regret doing was not asking for more interaction with those they were teaching because one thing they've noticed like coming out of the pandemic was just the lack of interaction. People began to look like zombies and sometimes you'd see videos on like YouTube or whatever. Um, they record like the class and you'd see all the people's pictures and someone would be like sleeping in class or someone would be like out golfing, but they'd still get credit for like doing literally nothing. So I'm just gonna ask for your interaction here a little bit so we don't fall into that habit of just like being zombies because I'm not accusing you of that, but I just don't want us to be that. Um, but also, so I, as I asked you tonight, like, why do you believe people don't commit to things? Like, what are some of the things you heard as you're chatting? And I'm at, like, literally asking you to raise your hand. And I'm asking for, like, what, it, what are you trying to teach? Or what are you, because you can teach me things, too. I'm not always the best teacher. Um, but what were some of the things that you, you heard people say? Yes. Fear. They're afraid, right, to make commitments. What else did you hear? Come on, you were all chatting. I saw you. Yep. Lazy. Lazy, Yeah. Some people are just straight up lazy, right? Slothfulness. They feel like they're going to be awkward or they are a little bit socially awkward. Yeah, that's like majority of myself every time I go anywhere, right? So what else? Flexibility. Flexibility. Like wanting to do something like that. Like mm-hmm. the best thing FOMO. Yeah. I was talking to Connor. We talked about JOMO, like the, the joy of missing out because like... <laughs> I mean, I should be honest, like, people do so many stupid things on campus, but, like, sometimes, like, it's so cool to, like, not do those things. Um, and just be like, yeah, I don't feel like a turd right now. It's great. I don't have a headache because I didn't drink. I feel wonderful. It's awesome. What else? What else did you, why, why else do people, like, struggle making commitments? Not feeling good. Not feeling good? Failing. Failing. Anxiety. Anxiety. Maybe just too much hyper-focus on the negative that could be the outcome. Hopelessness can be there. Yeah, overcommitted, so I don't want to commit to anything else. Just exhausted. Yeah, busy, like my least favorite word, by the way. So if you were to say I'm too busy, I'm like, (laughs) I might secretly internally be strangling you. Like, no, you're not too busy. Um, Just lack priorities, right? Lack of priorities is usually what it is. Yeah, or even making too big of a deal out of a commit, right? It's like, it's just a Bible study. We're not going to crucify you to the first night, right? So... I would say the reason why a lot of us lack commitments and we're not living, we're, we're, we're like living with regret instead of without regret is because we lack what um, St. Paul ended our reading to the Thessalonians. He said that for our gospel did not come to you in word alone. It wasn't just talking. Like they didn't just say, hey, convert to Jesus and they go live a double lifestyle, right? He said it, it came in power and in the Holy Spirit with much conviction. Conviction, like what does that word mean? Like the word conviction means con, means with, and vict is like with victory. Or if someone is a convict, they're guilty of something, right? So there's, I'm living in the victory, the the conviction that no matter what Jesus, like he would have died just for me. His love is that personal. I've experienced it. It's not like some word. And when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles at Pentecost, like things changed. They started speaking different languages. They, they were able to do what Jesus did. They, they saw the power of God's resurrection in the person of Jesus manifest itself before others. I would say the reason why a lot of us maybe lack commitment is because we lack conviction. Some of us don't believe like we're, we're actually worth it. 
Jesus came to reveal many things, but for sure he came to reveal the love of the Father. He wanted to reveal the love of the Father to the point of taking on flesh. The God, God took on flesh to win you back so you would know your worth. Pope St. John Paul II has that famous saying, right? We are not the sum of our failures. We are the sum of God's mercy for us, right? So like we so often look at how bad we are and we look at all the, the things that are wrong with us, but the, the God of the universe doesn't look at you like that. He never has and never will. And when you, when you realize who you are in his eyes, things begin to change. When you take time, when someone takes time with you and walks through who Jesus is and what he's done for you and they pray with you or they bring you to a conference like Seek and the, 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 the chains fall or the, the blinders fall, you get convicted of your worth, of who you are to God. And I was convicted of the Lord's love at a mass. First of all, I heard the gospel. It wasn't like, Jesus love you, God's a balloon, the kind of what I grew up with. I don't know what it was. Like, it was just, it was not very convicting. But when I was called to be a man of God, and I was called higher, and, and I knew what they were saying was true, what they had, I wanted. There was something in, in this priest who was, who was convicted of who God called him to be, who he was in God's eyes, and I said, I, I want that. So there was a desire and then it came, and I heard the conversion story of, of another priest who was clinically dead for three hours, came back to life. And, I, and there's also a conviction of anger. How come nobody ever told me this, that this is actually worth it? Told me about this Jesus who can do these, who can do these miracles. And then it, I was convicted at the sac holy sacrifice of the mass when I realized I was convicted or even confronted with the reality that it's not just a piece of bread up there. It's not just a symbol. It's Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. And I couldn't stop thinking about that reality, that he loves me so much that he would for sure die for me, forgive my sins and confession, but then he would make himself so small uh, to always be with me. And when I heard that, it, it just convicted my heart. But the thing is, where I, where I was afraid of was my lack of knowledge of the faith. And then I began to learn about this pope named John Paul II, and his teachings, and his life. I just want to go through his life a little bit, how it's impacted me, but I hope it impacts you, if not more than it's impacted me, because if you want to get to know a, any saints, like John Paul II should sure be like in your top three, right? A lot of people think that he was, you know, he lived like a perfect life. We have this idea that the saints always had it easy. So he grew, grew up in Poland, right? Before he was even born, his, his sister died. At the age of, at the age of four... Um, he lost his mother. At the age of nine, he lost his brother. And at the age of 19, he lost his dad. Just as the, the Nazis are coming in from Germany and overtaking Poland. But one thing he did that was really important for him, as he lost his mother, he, he had the sense of, of, Mary, you must be my mother now. That was like a big turning point when he started to go to the Blessed Mother. But he went to seminary underground. Because you couldn't study, you couldn't study the faith. You could not do what we're doing right now, for sure. We'd all be thrown in jail or taken to Auschwitz or something. And he had this deep conviction of, of the Lord calling him, but it wasn't easy. He was an actor. He was very charismatic. He had a girlfriend, right? But he felt called. The Lord was calling him to be a priest because there was a man named Jan Tarnowski who just saw something in him. 
Many people didn't see it. He was known as being quiet and withdrawn in middle school. But he was taught how to pray the rosary. He was taught how to meditate upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it, and it led him into, into, the, into seminary. And then he was ordained a priest. And then communism came like right after that. And shortly after, and, and one thing he had a heart for was, was people your age. He had such a heart for the youth. And he wasn't afraid to go to the university and talk about the faith, especially the topic that a lot of us have shame with, which is the topic of sexuality. And people, the university professors would say, Father Carroll, like, why do you always talk about sex? It's like, because sexuality is such a block to the spiritual life if it's not shown in its truest sense. Sexuality is such a block to the spiritual life if it's not shown to us in the, in the beauty of it, in its truest sense. And, and he, he said that all the men, you have to understand this, guys, that, that you have to know and understand the soul of a woman. You have to know that. And he began to, to, to discern and teach and inform people with his teaching called the theology of the body. And the theology of the body is, is, is many things, but one thing it does is it reveals the gospel in another way. The same gospel that St. Paul talks about that comes in power and the Holy Spirit and leads to conviction. When I was taught about theology of the body, I, I learned it from Christopher West. And one thing he taught me, and I'm just going to share it with you, and he, he said, just imagine this for just a second. He said, I want you to imagine that th this sheet of paper is the most beautiful image you've ever seen. It's a picture of Adam and Eve before the fall. But he said, when our first parents sinned, when they were lured into the lies of the evil one, that God isn't good. God doesn't love you. He doesn't want you to be happy. He's withholding something for you. What happened to this image that God originally intended for all time just got crumpled up. And a lot of people, that's, that's been their, their image of God and his, his plan. This is crumpled up image that doesn't make any sense. But there are two figures that in the, in the 1950s that began to say, don't throw this away. One of them is Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy, who's affected so many people, I would say infected them with lust and addiction to pornography, impurity with self. He said, you shouldn't throw this away. But the thing about Hugh Hefner in his life growing up, he grew up very Puritan. Puritan would be in the sense of Mom and, he said, Mom and Dad never hugged me. And he, and he, he said he, he came out with Playboy to, in essence, um, took what he thought was, what was wrong and, and, make, and make it into something else. It was, it was a rebel against his parents. But John Paul II also said, this isn't trash. This isn't trash. And he began to show people through his teaching on theology of the body, the original the original plan of God and to show that it's, it's still, you can still be redeemed. This can be, this can be redeemed. And for, for a lot of us, we've, we've been eating out of the dumpster. Thing it's saying is garbage in, garbage out. We, we feed from what is not, for what is not good for our souls. And one of those traps is lust. Pope John Paul II in Theology of the Body said that lust is sexual, sexual desire without God. It lacks its true intention. And for a lot of us, the reason why we lack, lack 
conviction is because we believe that we're like this trash. We don't have worth. or Because so, I've, I've done things or things have been done to me. And what the gospel does is the gospel redeems us. <laughs> the gospel redeems us of knowing how good we are, how beautiful we are in God's eyes, how much value we have. But it doesn't just convict us. It says there are others out there who need to know this too. And, and St. John Paul II, he had this fire to know this truth after he went through Nazi Germany overtaking his company, after, after he went through all of this hurt and pain through communism. And then he was, he was, a, he was made a bishop. And, and he was a fun bishop. A lot of people don't know that he was a skier. He, was, he liked to go canoeing. He would always try to sneak out with the youth and, and go on camping trips and have fun with them. But he said they, they could never call him father when he was on those trips or bishop. He said, you have to call me uncle. Because as soon as people knew who he was, the cat was out the bag. And, and, and his love for the youth was so inspiring and everybody doubted him. I think that's also a reason why, why we, sometimes we, can, we, we lack conviction is because we doubt what God can do in us and through us and for our community. And when he came to the United States in 1994, they were expecting for, the, for World Youth Day in Colorado and Denver, they were expecting 30,000 youth to show up. 700,000 youth showed up. And people said that they were, when they were even like a half a mile away from him, they felt personally loved by him. They felt personally loved by him. And he wanted them to know what he said so often. Be not afraid. Be not afraid to cast out in the deep, he would say. He said, be not afraid to let Christ into your heart, into the depths of who you are. And if there's a man of conviction that you want to pray for that grace, like, Lord, I need to be more convicted. I'm kind of a, I'm not really convicted. I'm more of a coward than, a, than being convicted. Ask for Pope St. John Paul II to pray for you and to pray for your Bible study and pray for the conversion of this campus. When I, when I learned about theology of the body, so much, so much healing happened. Like I learned God's original plan. And theology of the body is like a healing balm for the church because there is so much addiction to things that are impure in our culture today. It's almost like, who isn't struggling with this? But now you have the salve. You have the healing power of God. You have the gospel in a, in a new form. And when I was taught the theology of the body by Christopher West, he said things that just convicted my heart. He said, gentlemen, don't, don't gird your loins with latex. He said, gird your loins with the truth. And he challenged every single man that day um, at this conference I was at to carry the rosary with him at all times and to pray the rosary every day. And John Paul II always had a rosary on him. And I've taken that challenge up from, from Christopher West to, to be a man of God, to be convicted. And, and, and the rosary, it, it, just, it just works. It's not always pretty, it's not always perfect, but meditating upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary is so incredibly powerful. The rosary leads to conviction. The rosary is a weapon against all forms of evil, but especially those who struggle with lust. When I was learning from different priests who had a devotion to Mary, one was Father Luke Strand, he was in Fond du Lac, and he'd always challenge his students. He would say, if, you're, if you ever find me without a rosary, I'll give you 20 bucks. And I, I saw him do that as I was like just getting ready to start seminary. And I would do that with my students when I was in my last parish assignment. 
but I always carry a rose around me. They could never find me without a rosary. Because you, you don't go out to war without your weapon. And John Paul II had this with him at all times, and, and he was such a model for us. He's a man of conviction. But again, he didn't just talk about it, he walked it too. In the 1980s, he was, you know, in the Pope Mobile before it had bulletproof windows. There was a Muslim man in St. Peter's Square who shot him point blank. And it was just like, like millimeters away from hitting a main artery in his body and in his, in his stomach um, from killing him. But when St. John Paul II took on this, this illness and, and he had someone read to him a book that transformed his life after he got done with his teaching on theology of the body called Divine, uh, the, the Diary of Divine Mercy, Diary of St. Faustina. And he became so convicted this is going to be the end of my life's mission. This is what I need to teach you about, the, the infinite mercy of God. One of the first things he did when he got healthy was he went into the prison cell and forgave that man. The man who, who shot him. And as, as, he, as he, he got older in his, in his papacy, he, he came down with Alzheimer's. But the one thing, I, I just find this the most beautiful image of, of a man who's convicted was he wasn't afraid to let other people see him when he was weak. As he came out for his last time to see his children, the people of God, as the Pope, he could barely stand. He couldn't talk anymore. And he just looked at his people and all that came from his mouth was spittle. That was him saying goodbye. I love you. It was on the, the eve of divine mercy that John Paul II passed away. And I'm always so moved by his humility. I'm moved by his life. And there, there's so much more I could share with you. If you struggle with conviction, again, turn to Pope John Paul II's teaching on theology of the body. Maybe devote yourself once again to the Holy Rosary. Carry a rosary with you at all times. But then also, you too, talk the talk. If you talk talk, like walk the walk. He never expected anything out of anyone to do anything he didn't do himself. And it has to be the same for us. The one thing that Jesus calls out people in the gospel for today is, is being hypocrites, being two-faced, being one way, one place, and another way, another place. I just want to hold up that image of John Paul II, just Alzheimer face, not as beautiful as it used to be, but just spittle coming from his mouth. Like he wasn't masked. He was totally the Lord's. He wasn't afra afraid to let people see him in, in a weak state. Why? Because he loved them and he was convicted of the good news of the gospel. So as we offer this, holy sacrifice the mass in a special way I want to ask for Pope St. John Paul's intercession for each of you he's helped me so much I can't even begin to like tell you how much how important he is and if you struggle with making commitments he is again going to be one of your best friends teach you to open doors for you to make you a man or woman of conviction 
The thing is, all the angels, all the saints are here, including John Paul II. Every time I just do this simple motion, calling down the Holy Spirit upon the bread and the wine. John Paul II loved the Eucharist. He was so in love with Jesus in the Eucharist. So we pause and we pray for the grace to be men and women who are just convicted of God's love for us. We pray for you, Jesus, to wash away all the shame, all the lies with your precious blood. And Mother Mary, as you were a mother to John Paul II when he lost his mother, please be a mother to us too. Amen.